You may be seated. Any sermon that starts with that's got to be good, right? Man. I, I, I created these, this slideshow like a week and a half ago before vacation, so I couldn't remember what was going to come up. So that's pretty good, yeah. Who did that? So. <clears throat> All right. How many of you have driven in a nasty, scary snowstorm? Yeah? You're from Wisconsin. Yeah, I know, I know. That's a trick quite we all have. You know that feeling you get when you're the one driving and you're gripping the steering wheel and the snow is flying and you're like, it's almost a whiteout, but maybe maybe I can keep going. You know, you tell yourself that and you realize I've got precious cargo in the car with me. Maybe you have your kids, your family's in there. And, and you're just driving and you're praying. What do I do? You know, do I pull over and stop? Do I keep going? And you're like, I know what I'll do. I'll just keep going because I can kind of see the car tracks in front of me. And then you have those moments where you don't see the tracks at all, right? And you're like, what am I doing? You know, this is so stupid. For us, it always seems to happen Christmas Eve. I think it's because all you pray for a white Christmas. You're, you're ruining it for me because on Christmas Eve... I'm driving, I'm on the road, and you're praying for the white Christmas. And I'm praying against it because i got to get to central Illinois safely. But I don't know how many years I've been doing this, and every time I'm like, we just, we just got to stop. This, this is crazy. It's like white out out here. And it probably will be the same this year. Sometimes I think that's exactly the way life is with us. That is, we get into a trial or a conflict or a difficult time in our life, and... We're trying to figure out, like, what's going on? How do I deal with this? What decision do I make that might be able to undo this mess that I'm in, whether you made the mess or not? And and it's like the snow's flying, and it's all confusing. Do I stop? Do I keep going? I'm I'm just trying to control what's happening a little bit. And yet, I just end up being so confused. And I've always thought it's just not fair that I'm always driving on Christmas Eve in a snowstorm. Like, how is that fair? And I think that's how we we kind of are, right? I mean, it's like, why is life like this? Why is life doing this to me? And then other people over here seem to have it so much easier. Why is it my health is this way, but their health is not that way? Why is it these bad things happen to my business and and yet over here they're doing really well? You know, you could go on and on in this line of thinking, why? Why did I lose that person? Why did this And so when those things happen, it can be like a storm and you get confused. You don't know which way to go. You don't know where the road is. How do you hold on? What does a wise person do when you just can't seem to get ahead in life? That's a question Solomon is answering for us today in Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Would you open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 8? How does a wise person act when they are engulfed 
in injustice or trials or difficulties. So it's the same theme that you've been hearing the last few weeks. Pastor Andrew took last week. So grateful that he did that for me and kept the series rolling. Um, injustice, what do we do? What, what, what is the wise thing to do when, you, when you're surrounded by uh, injustice? So Ecclesiastes chapter 8, we're going to go all the way to 9, chapter one, or chapter 9, verse 1, but we'll take it a little bit at a time. So let's read 1 through 4. Who is like the wise man? Who knows the explanation of things? Wisdom brightens a man's face and changes its hard appearance. So automatically you, you, you can see already that He's starting to prepare you for what he's going to say. There's hard things. There's things that make your face hard. You see someone suffering, they're they're often not smiling because it's so difficult. And yet wisdom can bring a smile to your face. How can that be? How can that be? Verse 2. Obey the king's command, I say, because you took an oath before God. Do not be in a hurry to leave the king's presence. Do not stand up for a bad cause, for he will do whatever he pleases. Since the king's word is supreme, who can say to him, what are you doing? So first of all, Solomon's recommending that when there's injustice in the world, sometimes you look at your government, right? After all, aren't they supposed to put the laws into place and enforce those laws? Like, what are we talking about in America today? We're talking about immigration, and we're talking about a lot of the, the, a lot of the long-standing uh, arguments that we've had for a long time. I mean, we, we talk about these things. And, and there's heated debate on both sides. You know, there's emotions there. I can name lots of other things we talk about, but, but there it is. And Solomon says, here, I, I know you're going to complain about the government. I, I know you're going to get on the king's case, but, but here's a word for you. How about you realize the king is supreme, so you better be careful what you say to him. Now, we don't have a king, so I know this is completely removed from American life. You know, you, you can say what you want about the president. You have the freedom of speech. The, the president can't come up to you and say, you know, kill that guy. He, he's rebellious. But the king is supreme. And so I, I, get, I know that we don't understand that completely. It might help our view of God if we did understand that a little bit better. Because God is supreme. But in any case, to try to apply this to uh, a democracy, let's say it like this. And, and Paul says the same thing in Romans. You ought to submit yourself. You ought to respect the governing authorities. And, and, and he says it like this, because there's no authority, Paul says it like, there's no authority that's been established that God hasn't established. God put that person in power, so you need to respect them. I've met Christians who care a lot about who is president. And I care about that too. But they care about it in a different way as if the person in the Oval Office will save us all and change America for the better. As if evangelizing won't do the job. As if the kingdom of God won't change hearts. The president will do that. I don't... I want a, a wise, God-fearing person in that spot as much as the next person does, and I pray for that, especially at the election time. But I don't put my hope in that. And I, I don't think that's the appropriate place to put it. 
And so I've also met other people who think that it's our job to berate, belittle, disrespect, be outright rude to people who are in authority over us. I don't think that's biblical either. Find me the place in the scripture that gives us that sort of authority to do that. What if we spend as much time as we, we, we have saying these things as we do praying for that person that's in power? Praying that God changes the face of our country and then working towards that as we spread the kingdom of God. But in any case, that said, Solomon's answer here is, you just ought to obey the authorities. God put them there, so obey them. If they ask you to disobey God, that's a different thing. But if they haven't asked you to disobey God, then you just obey them. That's how a wise person acts when they look at their country and look at their government and say, I don't like this, 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 and this. It breaks my heart that we've legalized abortion, but that doesn't give me the right to just disrespect the government and do what I want to do. And I've met Christians who say that, who think just because the government gets it wrong here, that gives me the right to to disobey them everywhere else. I've met people like this. It's not biblical, though. Uh, A few weeks ago, I mentioned... uh, uh, In youth group, we used to do this thing called Choose a Side. If you were here for that, we did hand raising and we got a good laugh. And uh, I remember one time, the the hot topic of the night was, is it okay to illegally download music and movies and whatnot? And I just wanted to hear, I I didn't open up the Bible and start praying. I just wanted to hear them share their perspective on it. Especially those that do the downloading. And... What I found overwhelmingly was most of them said it's okay because the media and the celebrities, these musicians and movie stars are so rich that why would it be wrong to take their music without paying for it? That was the overwhelming majority of the teenage view of downloading. It's okay because these people are rich. Solomon's writing against that. He's saying, you don't get to look at your bank account and say, I get to steal this now because I don't have a lot of money and they do. You don't get to do that. It's not just, though. I work hard. I work 40 hours a week and it's hard labor, you might say. Well, these people go in front of a movie camera, say some lines, and they get millions of dollars. So that excuses you from obeying your government. I see. Okay. Solomon says, no, that's not how it works. Paul says the same thing. You submit to the governing authorities. You do what they tell you. It's for your good. It's because God, and God put them in that position. If they ask you to do wrong, you resist. You obey God and not man. So, uh, let's leave that there. We'll leave it there. Number two, let's look at verses five through nine, okay? Life isn't fair. What are you going to do about it? Well, you obey the government, for one. Uh, Secondly, verses five through nine, whoever obeys his command, again, talking about the king, whoever obeys his command will come to no harm, and the wise heart will know the proper time and procedure. For there's a proper time and procedure for every matter, though a man's misery weighs heavily upon him. You see what he's saying here? He's saying... Life might be so hard, you don't know what to do. 
You, you don't know what the wise course of action is because you're just hurting right now. And, and life is so confusing. You can't figure it out. What are you going to do? The wise heart knows what to do. Keep reading though. Since no man knows the future, who can tell him what is to come? No man has power over the wind to contain it, so no one has power over the day of his death. As no one is discharged in the time of war, so wickedness will not release those who practiced it. All this I saw, and as I applied my mind to everything done under the sun, there is a time when a man lords it over others to his own hurt. All right. There are times when we don't know what to do because life is so confusing. And two weeks ago, I shared a definition of wisdom that I believe Jesus would say is a pretty good definition. The one who hears Jesus' words and does what they say is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock, right? If you hear Jesus' wisdom and you do it, sorry, you're wise. That's what Jesus said. I'm just using his definition of what it means to be wise. Now, some of you might have thought two weeks ago, what about the things that are not addressed in the Bible? Any of you think about that? You go home and talk about that, you know. What do I do when the Bible doesn't say, in this situation, do this? Because the Bible doesn't address it directly. That requires a wisdom that is an application of what you know the Word does say. It's an application of, of, of what the Bible says and being full of the Spirit. So, so wisdom is still knowing and doing the Word of God. But when the Bible's silent on something, I would my go-to person for wisdom would be someone who's full of the Word and full of the Spirit and can make connections between what the Word says and what to do in life. And they're so full of God that wisdom is how they do life. And that's kind of what Solomon's saying here. He's saying, you know, um, we don't know the future, verse 7. When you make a decision during a hard time, I can't tell you how it's going to turn out. Sometimes when I'm sitting across a table from someone and, and they're going through a hard time in their life and they say, what do I do? I realize whatever I say to them is not going to be like the thing that solves everything. Nobody has that answer that's going to solve everything. Well, if you make this, if you have two choices here, choice A will definitely get you out of the pro- No. That's not typically how life works when it gets really complicated, right? No man can tell him what is to come. No one has power over getting discharged in time of war. You gotta, if you're a soldier, you've got to fight and you might die. But if you're a soldier, you do your duty and, and you leave your fate to the Lord. And so it is here. When you don't know what to do, you do what's right. You continue on and say, I leave the results to God. Let's see the way I wrote this in the notes. We must act wisely in the present and leave the future to God. If I stopped every time our adoption of our son Grayson got hard, he would not be here. I could tell you story after story, and I won't this morning, but story after story of things that happened to us that said, this is not working out right. And we had to find a different direction. We had to make hard decisions. Our original thought was we would adopt a little girl from uh, Liberia. 
Liberia changed their adoption laws. That was a shut door. We were with an organization that did an adoption agency that did something that concerned us. We thought it was unethical. We had some money out there already, but we left that agency. So, so you could say, a lot of closed doors, but we were convicted that we needed to move forward. Sometimes, Christians talk about the open door versus the closed door. Have you done that? I do that all the time. Where's the open door? Walk through that door. That is only circumstantial though, right? And you've got to realize how limited that is. That's not the end all. I mean, sometimes I, I'm convicted that I think God wants us to kick the door down. Chop off the giant's head, metaphorically speaking. Right? I mean, you need to be convicted that's what God is calling you to do, and that's where wisdom lies. But if you just look at open doors and closed doors, and that's how you do your, <clears throat> your wisdom and decision making, you've left out a lot of other things. Like asking the Spirit for wisdom, asking trusted Christian friends, staying in the Word, and seeing where God leads you to read while you're making that decision. He often leads me to interesting places when I know I've got to make a big, a big call in life. And it brings his word out into my life. But if you just look for the open door and the closed door, you've got one part of it. There are some closed doors that need to be broken down. And there are some open doors God does not want you to walk through. But it takes wisdom to know the difference. If you want an example, a biblical example of the open door you don't walk through, David, right? David's on the run from King Saul. David's going to be king one day, right? God's promised it. God's going to do it. David's in a cave. King Saul's pursuing him hotly, wants to kill him. Solomon goes into the cave to relieve himself. David, you've got him right here, the soldiers say. Kill him. You're the king. Just do it and start your reign. Get rid of your opponent. He wants to kill you, right? If your life is worth something, then take his and... David, I can't, I can't raise my hand against him. I can't do that. The door is wide open. How do you end up in the same cave, people? How do you end up in the same cave? But that's a closed door in David's heart and mind. I can't walk through that door because it's wrong. Wisdom says don't do it. And David's a man of war. He, he knows war. Let's seek God's wisdom as a snowstorm blows around us and not look for the, maybe the first out, because maybe it's not an out. All right, let's keep going. Let's read verses 10 through 14. What else do we do when life is hard and the snowstorm rages? Uh, verse 10. Then too, I saw the wicked buried, those who used to come and go from the holy place and receive praise in the city where they did this. This too is Hebel. Hebel is meaningless vanity. No purpose, no meaning. It's Hebel. When the sentence for a crime is not quickly carried out, the hearts of the people are filled with schemes to do wrong. Although a wicked man commits a hundred crimes and still lives a long time, I know it will go better with God-fearing men who are reverent before God. 
Yet because the wicked do not fear God, it will not go well with them. Their days will not lengthen like a shadow. There's something else meaningless, hebel, that occurs on earth. Righteous men who get what the wicked deserve and wicked men who get what the righteous deserve, this too, I say, is hebel. So here is Solomon's caution. You're going to see a lot of wicked people who are doing pretty well in life. They are rich. They are prosperous. They are healthy and strong. And when you see them, you will be tempted to say, then God must not be on the throne because my life doesn't look like theirs. My life is much harder than theirs. I serve the living God who loves me. We've sung about Him today. How great is His love for us. He is so good. And yet my life doesn't feel very good right now. And yet this wicked person over here, their life is good, it seems to me. So Solomon says, wait. Those people might be praised in the city, he says. People may love that wicked person and think they're so great. Don't be fooled. Don't be deceived. Uh, The way we're saying it in your notes, in your handout is, we must not be deceived when the wicked prosper. Don't be deceived when the wicked prosper. That is such a temptation for us. And it makes, it makes us confused about perhaps who God is. Is God good when life is really hard? Absolutely. You know the saying goes, God is good, and then you answer, all the time. And you can turn it around, all the time, God is good. And if you truly believe that, You're doing what Solomon is recommending here. Don't be deceived. It will go well for those who fear the Lord. It will not go well for those who don't fear the Lord. He compares it to shadows, right? He says, uh, their days will not lengthen like a shadow. I think that's verse 14. And I think the picture is the sun has risen and the sun is setting and the shadows are lengthening. And yes, he says, some wicked people do live a long time. Don't let it fool you. Because very often the opposite is also the case where the wicked die early because of their wickedness. You ever read the Proverbs? Sometimes you'll see Solomon writing on both sides of the issue. Answer a fool according to his folly. Don't answer a fool according to his folly. And you're like, which one is it? You know, I just wanted the fortune cookie answer. Just tell me which one to do. And it's like, no, no, you've got to apply wisdom to know which one of those you're supposed to do. And it's the same way here. You may see a lot of people that you think are living along a good life and they're wicked, but keep in mind there's also a lot of wicked people who die early, die sad, die alone, die fearful of what's going to happen to them next. And you don't see those things, but in general, Solomon says, you know what, take it to the bank. It'll go well with those who fear God. It will not go well with those who don't. And then he says, uh, because a sentence, this is verse 11, because a sentence against an evil deed is not, uh, I'm reading, I'm sorry, I'm probably reading ESV here. Let me read the NIV. That'd be better, right? Uh, That way we're all on the same page. Verse 11, when the sentence for a crime is not quickly carried out, the hearts of the people are filled with schemes to do wrong. Uh, this This is the whole perspective of, If God's really up there, why isn't he dealing with the wicked things on earth? And we know that he is. We know that God does oppose evil. We know that his is a kingdom of light versus a kingdom of darkness. Like, we know he is, 
But why doesn't he just take every wicked thing and just smash it? Especially the heartbreaking things. Some of the things we've seen this week in the news. Why doesn't he just stop it? Every one of those things. And because the sentence for the crime isn't quickly carried out, I mean, God is still the judge. And there's still, there, there, there's still a price to pay for sin. But because God doesn't say eye for an eye right now, people start to say, oh, I can get away with this. I can do what I want. Life is good and I'm not obeying those, those old-fashioned biblical values, those commands of God, supposedly. And so they become more wicked. They keep going on the path they're on. Just because God hasn't squashed them the first time they got out of the line. What he's doing, Peter would say, late, much later, is he's being patient with us, not wanting anyone to perish. He's giving people a chance to repent. So wicked people keep doing wicked things. Some of them horrific things. They still have a chance. That's God's word to them. You still have a chance. You can still come to me. I'm not dealing with you right now in the moment. If I did, you wouldn't be here. I'm giving you a chance. Praise God, he doesn't treat us all like that, right? I mean, you think about that. If God really was that way, then if you told a lie today, you might get in a car accident tonight, right? If you gossiped about someone, then a nasty rumor would get spread about you that would ruin your reputation. You know, like what if God actually did that? I wouldn't want to stand next to any of you. And you certainly wouldn't want to stand next to me in my sins. Because apparently teachers get judged more harshly. So don't stand next to me. We'd all stand next to my wife because she's perfect. And she's not here to hear that. Darn, man. You can tell her I said it though, right? And she wasn't even here. She wasn't even here. But no, if that's the way life worked, we'd all go around like this. We'd all be like in Revelation waiting for the rocks to fall on us and the mountains to cave in, you know, and the fire to fall. He's patient. Bottom line, when people say, if God is there, why is the world the way it is? He's being patient, giving more people a chance to repent. And they do often. Many of them often do. And some of you are here because he didn't squash you the first time you did whatever you did. All right, Uh, lastly, what do we do in the snowstorms of life? Uh, Let's read 8.15 through chapter 9, verse 1. Here we go. So Solomon says, I commend enjoyment of life because there's nothing better for a man under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. Then joy will accompany him in his work all the days of the life God has given him under the sun. When I applied my mind to know wisdom and to observe man's labor on earth, his eyes not seeing sleep day or night. Then I saw all that God has done. No one can comprehend what goes on under the sun. Despite all his efforts to search it out, man cannot discover its meaning. Even if a wise man claims to know it, he cannot really comprehend it. It's like saying, be careful. If you have friends like Job who say, we know why this bad thing is happening to you, we can tell you the answer. They don't really know. No one understands all of God's ways. We have God's word that reveals a lot about him. We see God's actions in our world today. We see his actions in our life. We can understand many things that he's revealed about himself. 
but you will never understand in this life some of these mysterious things that we have no answer for, that are so hard to comprehend. You know some of the things I'm talking about. And so he says, you know what? You really ought to enjoy the good days God gives you. We've talked about this in the past, right? There's going to be good days and bad days, and maybe this week is going to be a good week, so enjoy it. Go get yourself some ice cream, right? Go have that cookout, invite some friends over, and have a good time. Enjoy, because next month, next year, there might be some bad times that you won't enjoy. So enjoy the ones you have right now. They are a gift from God. And don't let the fact that you can't control the future influence your enjoyment today. Because today is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. It's our day given to us by God and joy. We've talked about this before. And then he says in chapter 9, verse 1, we're going to end here. We're going to end here. So I reflected on all of this and concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands. But no man knows whether love or hate awaits him. You and I don't know. You, you don't know whether tomorrow it's love or tomorrow it's hate. Only God knows that. But you know the one who holds your life in his hands. Remember when you were in high school, guys, and you had to call up that girl and ask her out? Remember that? You didn't know what she was going to say, right? My boys are shaking their heads. No, you, you don't know. That's right, you don't know. But remember that feeling when you're on the phone and, and, and you've just said the word. Like you've, you've rehearsed it in your brain a few times. At least I did. And, and then you make the call and, and you say those words. You know, you want to go out. You know, you get it out somehow. And then you're waiting for the response. The, the yes, the no. One time I heard yes and the next day it was no at school. You know, like that's the worst. That's the worst. You say yes to me and then stick a note in my locker. That's, that's not good. It's not good. Man. <laughs> but, but man, you, you know what I'm talking about. You just don't know. Is it love or is it hate, right? I don't know. But that, that is the way life is. And, and we can lose sleep over that. Solomon says people are working and day and night their eyes aren't resting, you know? You can lose so much sleep over not knowing what's going to happen tomorrow. What that person's going to say, what's going to happen at work, What's going to happen to your relative or your friend, your own life? You don't know. But fortunately, you know the one who in chapter 9, verse 1, the God who has your life in his hands. The wise people, the God-fearing people, all that they are and that they do are in the hands of God. And his hands are the biggest hands in the universe. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck us from his hand. His are the strongest. So we can rest easy. We can enjoy life now, even if there is some hate in our future coming our way. Because he's got that. He's got that. This last week, some of you have been praying for my mom and you asked me how she's doing, and and, and I'm so thankful that you do that and that you pray for her. Uh, She's having a lot of bladder issues, and she had a surgery on her bladder um, last Tuesday. Tuesday afternoon, she said it was the worst pain she's ever felt in her entire life. And 
I thought, I'm, you know, I'm not going to be seeing her. She's in pain. She's nauseous. She's, you know, we were gonna we were gonna head out of town and do some stuff in Chicago this week, and we did. But I thought, there's no way I'm seeing her on Wednesday. She's in so much pain. And she called me Wednesday. We were praying, of course, like crazy. She called Wednesday and said, I want to have I want to have the family over one more time before you go. You know, and I thought that that is. Solomon's advice and wisdom right there. She was doing better, by the way. She got a lot of ease from her pain on Wednesday. She got through the night, and in the morning, things were better. And she had us over to the house, and I thought, man, you just went through surgery, for goodness sake. Are you sure you want us over there? And she says, oh, yeah, you, you need to come over. I want to see you before you go back. And so we went over, and I thought, this, this is enjoying the moment while it's here. That's what we do. Yesterday was the surgery. Yesterday was the pain and suffering. Today, enjoy life. That's what we do. God has given us this day. Let's rejoice and be glad in it. Last word I want to tell you. If you wanted to summarize everything we said today, I think I can do it in one word. One word. It's a New Testament word. Uh, The Greek of it is hupameno. Hupameno. The word is persevere, persevere, endure. Perseverance is when you are going through difficulty, when trials are coming, people are against you, and you can stand firm and keep walking with Christ. When you can keep walking with Christ when the wind blows and the storm flies, that's perseverance. Can I show you how? The Bible tells us to persevere. One of the ways, at least, I could do a whole other sermon on this, but I, I thought, let me give you one passage that says, this is how you persevere. Would you go to Hebrews 12? Verse 1. I'm sure some of you could quote it. I'm sure some of you could quote it to me. When you live wisely and do good in spite of your circumstances, that's perseverance. When you're tempted to go astray, here's what you do. Chapter 11 is all about people of faith. Some of them went through hard times, but they remained in the faith. Chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with, there's our word, hupameno, perseverance, the race marked out for us. Your race might look a little different than my race, but let's run the race with perseverance. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The temptation is to say, if God doesn't match what I want him to do, then I'm out of here. No, he says, don't grow weary. Don't lose heart. Look at Jesus. Look at the cross. Look what he had to go through. Look at the people that spit on him, that accused him falsely, that nailed the nails into his hands, that, that, that mocked him that put the crown of thorns on his head. Look at all that. And then think, if he could could run in his race with perseverance 
and keep the faith, so can I. Don't grow weary. Don't lose heart. Keep acting wisely, even when the world is screaming at you that there's a better way. Because you know Jesus, who walked the hard road. I was reading recently about how to survive an avalanche. I don't ever intend on being in one, just, just to put that out there. It sounds, I'm not even claustrophobic, but it sounds terrible. You're in an avalanche, and you're, you're covered in snow. What do you do? Well, if you're deep enough, you can't do anything, because snow can be like concrete. So hopefully you have a beacon to call someone to help. But let's say the snow is just inches above your head, maybe a foot above your head. How do you get out of that? Well, you want to climb out, right? You want to, you want to dig your way out. You've got to make a little bit of space in front of your face to breathe, a little bit of air right there. Hopefully, they say often, if you can, try to keep your hand up when the avalanche is coming so you know which way is up and which way is down. And I thought, this is so interesting. Because when the snow is covering you, you might not know which way is out. Which way is up? And if you're not sure which way is up, this is what you can do. You make that little space in front of your face, and then you spit. And you watch which way it goes, up or down. And if it's running up your face, well, then you know you've got to go that way. <laughs> you know? That way is up. And I think, again, that, that's what life can be like for some of us. It's like an avalanche. And when you're in the avalanche, you don't know which way is up and which way is down. You've got to rely on gravity to help you out. And I think wisdom is like gravity. What do I do when I'm all directionless? Go up. Keep your eyes up. Persevere. Let's pray. Jesus.